little boy showed up late for Sunday school, little Johnny. The teacher said, Johnny, I'm glad you made it, but why are you late? He said, well, I was going to go fishing today, but my daddy said I had to come to Sunday school. And she said, well, that's good. Did your daddy explain to you why it's so important to go to Sunday school rather than to go fishing? He said, yeah, it's because he didn't have enough bait for both of us to go fishing. You know, church is important, and we need to be in church. We need to be part of a church. Of course, there are people that don't understand that in this world, and you've probably had encounters with some of them. I've had, as a preacher, I hear all the excuses. You know, like somebody says, uh, well, I don't have time to go to church, or well, I never just got into the church thing, you know. Or somebody says, the church is just a place full of hypocrites, and I don't want any part of it. Or somebody else says, Sunday is the only day I have to sleep late. And then there are people that say, well, I just can't find the right church for me. And, and you know, there are all these excuses, and those usually come from people who really don't understand what church is. So we continue our series today, The Basics of the Faith, and we're going to talk about church. And the question that we raise today is, what is the church? What is the church? Have you ever thought about that? The scripture has a lot to say about what the church is. And you know what? To be honest with you, there's a lot of people that just get it. Uh, A lot of you in here today, you love the church You want to be part of the church. If this church wasn't here, you'd be part of another church. You love to sing and worship and and do the activities and you serve and you help. And there's a lot of people that get it, that they understand what the scriptures teach about the church. And then there are those that have the wrong impression. You know, they look at the church the wrong way. And they never get... uh, Uh, the right idea, and they never get plugged in. So I want us to all think today about what church is because so often the church gets a bad rap and people look at the church the wrong way and, and they never find what God wants them to find in the church. So we're going to think about the church today and we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at one important verse, but we're going to talk about the background for this, and this is a place where Jesus is teaching his disciples. It's at a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi is not Caesarea on the coast over by the Mediterranean Sea, where it's a really nice city. It was sort of a resort town, maybe some beaches there. There was a a big marina there, and, and there was a lot going on. This is Caesarea Philippi is a different city. It's to the north. It's above the Sea of Galilee. And this is probably the northernmost part of the world that Jesus ever went to when he was in his ministry on the earth. And apparently he went there to get away from the crowds because we only have him and his 12 disciples in the story that we're going to read today. And as we look at this, Jesus comes to those apostles And he's sitting around, maybe they're sitting around a campfire somewhere. And he says, who do people say that I am? And the apostles start to answer. Well, some say that you are uh, John the Baptist, risen from the dead. 
Some say you're one of the prophets from old, maybe Elijah or Jeremiah. And then he says, but what about you? What about you apostles? Who do you say that I am? Peter jumps up and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's where we get our confession of faith from. And Jesus says, well done, Simon. You get it. You understand who I am. And then listen to what he says. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, there's a little play on words here in this verse. Matthew 16, 18. Peter's name in the Greek language is Petros. It means, as you see on the screen, stone or pebble or small rock. But Jesus says on this rock, and that's the Greek word Petra. It means a solid rock or a bedrock, a big rock. And what Jesus is saying, not that Peter is the rock, but his confession that he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. That is, that is the rock. And that is the foundation on which Jesus built his church. Now, I want you to also think about the word church. And look at ecclesia is the Greek word. Greek word for church. Everybody say ecclesia. Ecclesia. Okay, that kind of just rolls off your tongue, doesn't it? It's a, it's a good word. It's a compound word, and it is made up of two Greek words. One, ek, which ek means out from, and then the word kalo, kaleo. And it means to call or to summon someone. So it's the out from called people is what it is. I'm going to say it like this in your notes. The church is the called out ones. That's who the church is. That's who it's made of. It's made up of people who are called out. And in the first century, that word ecclesia came to mean an assembly. It was like any assembly of people. People called out of the community to come into the theater. They, they were the ecclesia. They were the, the assembly there in the theater. But in the church situation, it is those who are called out of the world to come in and be Christ's community, to be His assembly, to come together in the name of Jesus. I want to take you over for just a minute. This really helps us understand more about the church. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 4. And I want to work our way through this passage of Scripture here that talks about the church. And Peter is writing to a group of churches, and he says, As you, so who is that? The people in those churches. As you come to him, that's Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, just like Jesus is the living stone, they are a living stone, are being built into a spiritual house. Now think about that. That's the church. The spiritual house. Being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Wait a minute. 
You mean we don't just have one priest in the church? The whole group is a priest. A holy priesthood. We'll come back to that in a minute. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For the scripture says, now he quotes scripture. See, I lay a stone in Zion, that's Jerusalem, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him, Jesus, will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, what's a cornerstone? A cornerstone, back in that day, they chiseled it out. It was perfectly angled so that it started when you were building a building. You put it on your property. It helped you line the building up so it would be symmetrical on the property. It had a perfect 90-degree angle so your, your building is not, the sides are not going to run out like that. They're going to be straight and you can build a square building. It is the most important stone laid in the foundation. This is a prophecy, and it's pointing to Jesus as the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. Some people will trip over Jesus because they won't accept him. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, back to the people in the church, are a chosen people. Now he says this, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're called out of darkness. We are the called out ones into his wonderful light. Once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen, that's the church. You hear what he's saying? We are the people of God. We're called out of the world, out of the darkness of the world, into the light to be this special people. His special possession. The church is the holy priesthood, the royal priesthood. Did you ever think about the fact that you are royalty? You're in the family of the king, the king of kings. Look at your neighbor and say, you're royalty. You're royalty. I, I love a story. I don't know if you ever read any Garrison Keillor's work. Lake Wobegon, and Garrison Keillor is a humorous author, but he's, he's very deep in some of what he writes. And one of his books in this Lake Wobegon series is Leaving Home. And he talks about this lady, Grace Tolufson, and, and she married this guy, Alex Campbell, against her parents' wishes. And he says Alex turned out to be a, a ne'er do-gooder. Ne'er, ne'er, ne'er was a do-gooder. Okay, And he left Grace and three children, Earl, Marlis, and Walter, left them penniless. And with their heads hanging low, they had to go back home, you know, and the people in the community helped them piece together a place to live and some furniture and things like that. 
and they lived a very mediocre life. And then one day, Grace got a letter. It was from a man in Philadelphia. He was of Scottish nobility. And he asked who her ancestors were. And she was Scottish background. She wrote a letter back to him. And he wrote her a second letter. And it was addressed to your royal highness. And here's what he wrote. My one true sovereign queen. He went on to say that their branch of the Campbell family was connected to royalty in Scotland. Keeler writes, The line on the chart led straight to them. There they were, the royal family of Scotland, living in Lake Wobegon in a green mobile home, furniture donated by the Lutheran Church. Now what happens when somebody tells you you're royalty? At first you start to say, Probably not. And then you let it sink in a little bit. Well, maybe. And you do the research, maybe, and you say, well, may, maybe my line is connected. This is what the chart says. And all of a sudden, grace began to realize. It began to dawn on her. She was royalty. She was kin to the royal family of Scotland. She kept waiting on a phone call. She was sure they were going to call her one day to take the throne. The call never came. Her son Walter found out that it was all a gimmick, that they really weren't, but he never told any of the family. So they went through life. Her, his brothers and sisters, his mother, went through life thinking, we are royalty. Even though nobody recognizes us, we are royalty. We are something special. Can I tell you something here today? That might have been a gimmick. This is not a gimmick. I'm telling you, the Bible says, if you belong to Jesus, you are royalty. You are a royal priesthood. Now, what is a priest? A, pre a priest represents God to other people, and he represents the people back to God. So if we are a priesthood, what are we supposed to be doing? We are a royal priesthood. We're part of the family of God. We're supposed to be reaching out to other people, representing God to them. And then we go with those people and introduce them back to God. We are a royal priesthood. I tell you, you're somebody. And that's not the end of it. You're called out ones, called to be this holy, set apart by God, holy means. Royal priesthood. But let's, look, let's go on for just a minute. Ephesians 5. I want to read you a couple of, just some little snippets out of a couple of verses. Ephesians 5.23. Christ is head of the church, his body. Now let that sink in. Just Christ is head of the church, his body. He's calling the church his body. Ephesians 4.12. So that the body of Christ, which is what? The church, may be built up. Colossians 1.24. His body, which is the church. It's very clear. In the Bible, the church is the body of Christ. So the church is a body of Christ. Now, the words body of Christ are used three different ways in the Scripture. 
First, they refer to Christ's physical body, that body that was nailed to the cross. Then they, they refer to the communion bread that we took here today. It's sometimes called, it represents the body of Christ. The juice represents the blood of Christ. The body sacrificed on the cross. But there's a third way it refers to the church. It refers to those who are the called out ones. It's a metaphor. And it's a very special body because it's also, this body is the bride of Christ. Now, some of the guys have a hard time thinking, I'm the bride of Christ? Not really. But metaphorically you are. What is about the bride? The bride is pure. The bride is is a helpmate for Christ. The bride is a companion for Christ. We are Christ's body here on earth. I want you to think about your body for just a minute. Um, Where you are, who was it the comedian used to say, where you are, there you are. Think about where you are, there you are. That's a true statement. Your presence is there. You can't be present two places. Where your body is, there you are present. Now, where Christ's body is, there he is present. And Christ is present in the world in two ways. One through the Holy Spirit, the other through the body, his body, which is the church. So through the Holy Spirit and through the church, that's how God works in the world. That's how his presence is made known in the world through the body of Christ and the spirit of Christ. I want to take you over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for just a minute and and uh, we'll just read the first few verses here uh, starting at verse 12 1 Corinthians 12:12 12, 12, just as the body just as the body the one has many parts but all its many parts form one body so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now you see what he's getting at here. Your body's made up of different parts, right? You got nose and you got eyes and you got ears and you got feet and you got a head and hands and fingers. You got all these different parts. But they're all connected together to make one. Uh, there are many members, but they all make one body. So it is with Christ's body, the church. It has a lot of members. They all have different functions, but they all form this one body, the presence of Christ here on earth. In fact, Paul goes on to say, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong, that wouldn't matter. If an ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That's not right. He says, well, you know, if you, if you didn't have a foot, you couldn't walk. If you didn't have a hand, you couldn't pick stuff up. If you didn't have an ear, you couldn't hear. If you didn't have an eye, you couldn't see. We need all of the parts. In fact, he, he says here in verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Your nose is where God wanted it to be, right in the center of your face. 
Doesn't matter how big it is, how small it is, whether it works good or whether it doesn't in allergy season like mine, it's there. God put it there. Your eyes are where God wants it to be. They're not on the side of your head. They're in the front. Your ears are where they want you to be. And God gave you two ears and one mouth because you're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk. Everything is where it's supposed to be. In the church, everything's where it's supposed to be. He's brought you into his church. He called you to be part of his church because he's got a place for you in that church. He's got a function for you in that church. The Bible talks about all the different spiritual gifts that he gives people. And all these gifts come together. In fact, Paul talks about that just at the beginning of this chapter. Everybody's got a gift that they are to use in service to his body, which is the church. And he says, look, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. One part's not more important than the other. All the parts are important. So the head, the feet, the eyes, the ears, the hands, that's what we're supposed to be. We're all supposed to be parts of the body of Christ living in this world and working to show his love and his care and his concern and to serve the community. Now, I want you to um, think about this passage for just a minute. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming or preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among people. So what was Jesus doing? He was teaching. He was proclaiming or preaching good news, and he was healing people. And over and over again, we find that in the Scriptures. That was Jesus' ministry. He went about teaching and preaching, and healing. Teaching, preaching, healing. Tony Campolo is a Christian author. He had a friend who was a, sort of a charismatic, maybe a Pentecostal, and he said, Tony, you preach and you teach, but you don't heal. You need to learn how to heal. And Tony said, well, I thought about that, and that's what Jesus did, and that's what Jesus wants his church to do, is to preach and teach and heal so he said, I got a little bottle of oil like the Bible says, and I started praying over people and anointing them with oil for healing. And he said, do I have this great healing ministry? No, not really. But he said, I was preaching at this one church one weekend on a Sunday night, and as I walked in, I uh, just happened to catch the eye of this couple sitting on the very back row. It was an older man and an older woman. And the woman said, come here, Mr. Campolo. We came just to hear you speak tonight. Because he's a pretty famous guy, Christian author. And so he, he went over and she said, this is my husband. He doesn't get out much. He hasn't been out in a while. He's been deathly sick. And we were afraid we are going to lose him. I want to ask you to pray over him so he can be healed. And Tony said, you know, reluctantly he got his bottle of oil out put a little oil on the guy, anointed him with oil, prayed over him. Did he instantly jump up and start running around? No. But he did what the Bible tells him to do. He didn't hear anything else from that lady for a couple of weeks, and then he got a phone call. And as soon as she answered the phone, he recognized it was her voice, and he said, Wow, how's your husband doing? 
she said he died. She thought, well, so much for the healing ministry. But she said, wait a minute. i got to tell you something. Before you came and preached, my husband was a bitter old man. He was mad at the world. He was mad at God. He was sick, and he couldn't do nothing, and he couldn't eat, and he had no joy, and he was just terrible. The family quit coming to see him because he was so mean and nasty to everybody. And she said, but after you prayed that night, we went home, went to bed, got up the next morning, and he was reading Scripture. And she said, he called me over and he read Scripture to me. And we studied the Bible and, and we prayed together. She said, he even started singing hymns. And he got joy in his heart again. And every day for the last two weeks, we have read Scripture and prayed and sang hymns and talked about the good old days and talked about how great heaven will be. She said, Mr. Compolo, I want you to know something. My husband was not cured, but he was healed. You see, when we bring the power of Christ into this world as the body of Christ, we bring the good news. We teach who Jesus is. And we preach. We, we proclaim the good news of Jesus. And we pray and we bring His healing power into situations. It may not be healing like we think it ought to be, but it's healing how God wants it to be. And that's part of the body of Christ and what the body of Christ is supposed to do in this world. You know this word church, ecclesia, it's used three ways in the Bible. One way refers to all believers in Christ for all time, all throughout all history. Another way it's used is to refer to the, to the worldwide church today, the people that are alive in the church that is in the world. And then another way is the local body, the local. It's used oftentimes in Scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians 1-2, to the church of God in Corinth. It's a local church there in the city of Corinth. Or 1 Thessalonians 1-1, to the church of the Thessalonians. It's a local church. Philemon 1-2 mentions uh, Aphia and Archippus and the church that meets in your home. It's talking about a local church there in the home of these folks. In Revelation 2 and 3, uh, Jesus dictates seven letters to John. And each of these letters that he writes to John, they're little short letters. They give advice. And they begin this way, to the angel in the church in and one of them is Ephesus, one of them is uh, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatria, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Local church. That's the way church is used in the New Testament most often, to refer to the local church. I suppose if Jesus wrote us a letter, it would say, to Central Christian Church of Bristol. Local church. That's the way the church is manifest in the world today. That's what he calls the people of God to be. You. Me. We're the called out ones. We are his body, his hands, and his feet. But listen to this verse. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you has a part in it. 
The last thing I want you to see here is the church is you. It's me. It's us. We are his body. We are the called out ones to go out into the world and do his work. The church is not a place. It's a people. It's a living organism that represents Christ to the world. It's people working together. And Jesus gave us two great passages of Scripture to help us know what is important for us to do. The first is in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 39. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the second passage is in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. These are our marching orders as his called out ones, his body, as you and me, his church. This is what we're to do. Now, how does that break down? Love the Lord your God. That's worship. See, worship is expressing love to God. Uh, love your neighbor. That's ministry. Love there is a verb. It means that you do something for your neighbor. You serve them when they, when they are down, when they need help. You, you minister to them. Go and make disciples. That's outreach. We are supposed to reach out to those that are not disciples. That's part of the ministry of the church. We, uh, and then it says baptizing them. The baptism is the point when people are made part of the church. They come in to be part of the fellowship of the church. And fellowship is more than just eating a meal. It's sharing a life together. It's the Greek word koinonia. It means to come together, to be a community together. It's fellowship. And then lastly, teaching them, that has to do with discipleship. That's the ministry of the body of Christ. To worship together, to minister, to reach out, to fellowship, and to disciple people. That's what the church is called to do. And you are called to be part of that. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, the last two verses, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able, that's God, to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We are the church to seek through His power to bring glory to Him forever, throughout all generations. That's Christ's church. So here's our connection. The church is an instrument of Christ's ministry on earth. God uses us. He wants us to be His community. We are the kingdom of God. We are royalty to go out and do His work. Some of you will know the name Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley is a son of the late Charles Stanley, the famous preacher. And Andy uh, preaches at uh, North Point Church in Alpharetta, Georgia. 
And Andy said this, and I love this quote. Jesus is the hope of the world, and the local church is the vehicle expressing that hope to the world. We bring the hope of the world to the people in the world. That's the church. And you know what we say here at Central? What does hope do? Hope changes everything. And that's on our shoulders. That's what God has called us to do. Hebrews 10.25 says, Don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But all the more, as you see the day approaching, and encourage one another. This is us, folks. This is Christ's church. We're called out. We're the body. It's you. It's me. It's us. God, we thank you. We thank you for your church. Lord, the expression of God, of Christ here on earth, infused by the Holy Spirit, Lord, to do your will, to lead people in your way, to do your work, and to help the community in which we are placed to come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We pray that you help us to be all that you want us to be. And we pray it today in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.